Welcome to Literary Anything, our Marion Libraries podcast where we talk about anything literary and literary anything. I'm Paula. I'm Andrea. <laughs> Welcome back, Andrea. Thanks for having me. This Cheers. is always such a fun episode to do to have a look back at what we've been reading and loving throughout the year. Yeah, I found it really interesting. You went from like telling me, just talk about your favorite books, and I went blank and thought, I can't remember anything I've read, <laughs> to now, I think I have too many on the list. <laughs> How did you, did you just remember what you'd read? Or Because I had to go back and look at my Goodreads list, otherwise I never remember what I've read. Yeah, I think I need to start a Goodreads list because I couldn't remember anything I'd read. But as I started writing some, you know, writing down other ones. I was like, oh, yeah, and then I read that, and that was great too. So it said it came back slowly. So it all came back to you without yeah. having to ha- have a list. Oh, that's good. Do you want to start us off with one of your favourites from the year? Sure. So one of my favourite books I read this year was called Winter in Sokchow. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's by Alyssa Shua Dusipin. This is a book that just stayed with me for the course of the year. It's set in a small holiday town in South Korea in the off season. It's just near the border of North Korea and the main protagonist is a young woman. She's tied to this town by her mum. She's a a biracial young woman. She's French and Korean. She never knew her father. It's implied that her father was a tourist who even possibly took advantage of her mum. It's not quite sure. And her mum works in the local fish market and she works in a really run-down, off-season kind of hotel when this French cartoonist comes along. He's working on a graphic novel. It's meant to be, I think, the last in a trilogy. And he comes kind of seeking inspiration in this town. So... They form a really strange relationship. It's not quite romantic, it's not quite sexual, but all of the ten- those sorts of tensions are in it. He wants her to act as a kind of tour guide, showing him a quote-unquote like authentic Sokcha. So he wants to see the forests and he wants to see the sea and, and have that inform his work. In his graphic novels, they're all sort of based in different parts of the world that have this travel component. But she kind of wants him to see the Sokchao that she sees, like this militarised border, this slightly gaudy off-season town that's kind of down at heel. Like there's this kind of thing about like the map and the territory (laughs) sort of. Mm. So it kind of becomes a tension about what we see and our desire to be seen. Mm. So there is a part of her that really wants him to see who she actually is. In his drawings there are, she sort of breaks into his hotel room and there's these sketches of a woman in it whose face is really poorly defined. She's just kind of like a feminine shape. And I think partly it's this idea that he is kind of looking for these idealised women or this Mm. idealised place and she's actually sort of standing in front of him, not even necessarily in a sexual way or a romantic way, but just wanting to be seen by someone in a way. Mm. So there's this really brooding, noirish kind of tension in their relationship. It's a really odd book, but it just it's really slight, but it really stuck with me in the same way that sometimes those books where there's so much going on beneath the surface that you find yourself going back to it again and again and just in your thoughts and thinking about it. So that's a great one. Go for it. It's really short as well. So it's a good one if you haven't been reading. Yeah. I feel like often the books that you like, you describe as kind of odd and short. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I have looking at the list. I think it has to do with my youngest child is only 18 months now. So pretty much everything I've been reading has been, there's been a lot of like what I read 
um, while breastfeeding on a <laughs> <laughs> like an e-reader. Right. So there's definitely a lot of short books on the list. <laughs> but yeah, that's a really good one. That does sound good. I'll say one of mine now. This I read right at the beginning of the year. It was called Good Morning Monster by Catherine Gildner. Jane and I talked about this on the podcast. It's a non-fiction book. It was actually published in 2020, but I read it this year. And it's a therapist sharing five stories of her most memorable patients. Oh. Yeah. And it's fascinating and kind of voyeuristic, but not in a creepy way. The way she writes it is with so much empathy and compassion. And it's tragic and so heartbreaking, these life stories that these, the the things that people have gone through, trauma and abuse and all of that. But ultimately, it's triumphant. So I think that that's what makes it readable and enjoyable because these people triumph over their abusive pasts in the end so I just found it really compelling Mm. and and it also stuck with me as well that sounds really good yeah I got addicted to a tv show about couples therapy and I enjoyed it so much that I actually enrolled when I was on maternity leave in a psychology course (laughs) oh wow I did two weeks of it and then I did what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> what was the but show? It's on SBS. I think it's just called In Therapy. It's about, it's I think seven or eight episodes of, there's about three couples and the, they go see the therapist, you know, each kind of week over it. And it was so fascinating. Is it fiction? No, or? it's no. real. Oh, it's a documentary. Yeah. yeah. So it was so fascinating looking at how she interacts with all the different personalities and, and like who has power in the room at mm. any one time. It was great. So I think I'd love I'd love that one too. Yeah, that sounds like a podcast that I like with Esther Perel called um, Where Should We Begin? And it's the same thing. She, I mean, she's a therapist and she wrote a book called Mating in Captivity, which is all about your relationship, keeping the passion in a relationship and how in order for there to be passion in a relationship, there needs to be a bit, a bit of mystery. Mm. So when you've been married for a long time, obviously that mystery is like less and less and less. I hear you, lady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's really fascinating to, she's just so brilliant. And the way she can listen to people's stories and then just be able to pinpoint the heart of where mm. their struggle is coming from, where the tension in their relationship, and as you say, who has the power and all of mm. that. Sometimes people present and it looks like one person has the power in the relationship and then she's able to flip it on its head and and show that actually this person's quite passive aggressive and, yeah. and, and not actually the person with the power. So yeah, it's fascinating for those same reasons. Yeah, that sounds great. That you yeah. liked that TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah your two weeks into a psychology person's like, what am I doing? <laughs> That's really funny. I'm in a fugue state from sleep deprivation <laughs> ended up in a psychology course. <laughs> Do you want to give us another one for yours? Sure. Actually, one what you were just saying about kind of power and relationships reminded me of another one of my favourite books this year, which I think might also be one of yours, mm. which was called Vladimir by Julia May Jones. That was in my honourable mention list. Yeah, yes. I really enjoyed that one as well. So I enjoyed it more after we kind of spoke about it. Yes. So the, the basic premise is a, an academic in her 50s, a writer or a frustrated writer at the moment. She teaches at a small university and her husband has been pulled up on an academic misconduct charge for having affairs with his students over a long period of time. So he's currently suspended, awaiting a hearing. She becomes kind of infatuated with this like attractive new academic who's on the scene and she finds herself for the first time in a really long time becoming really 
creative and prolific again. Like she's writing and writing and writing. And it had a lot to do, I guess the book has a lot to do with desire and repression and repressed anger. And it has a frustrating final third, which Paula and I have spoken about a lot. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. And again, it's another short one. So <laughs> yeah, that was so good. What fascinated me about that was when you said to me, because Andrea read it first and recommended it. So then I started reading it. And while I was halfway through, maybe Andrea said, do you find that her, the protagonist is an unreliable narrator? And I hadn't thought about that before. But then when you planted that seed in my head, I was like, yes, yes, I do find that. And it's almost in the way that Lolita, you feel like you're listening to one story or the the person, oh, I'm not doing a good job of describing why Lolita is a typical example of the unreliable narrator, but because she, the the wife, was saying things like, talking about the women that were putting in these complaints against her husband and kind of saying, well, you know, they knew what they were doing and, you know, it's not like they didn't agree to be in this relationship. And you you almost kind of agree with her in the same way as you kind of get in Humbert Humbert's head in Lolita and suddenly you're like, well, wait a second, no, no, he's talking about a child. And in the same way with this the woman, you're like, wait a second, no, these people are not in, an, in a relationship that has equal power. Mm. And I was thinking these things and suddenly I realized she's called the book Vladimir. Yeah. <laughs> so it, as a nod to Nabokov and I was just, everything sort of exploded in my head at the same time with how how clever that was yeah I think she's a really interesting narrator because she has so much repressed anger as well and it comes out in ways that can be like it's a serious book but it does come out in ways that can be darkly humorous Mm. so she spends a lot of time saying I knew my husband had these affairs I was almost happy he was having them because it gave me time to write although she's had writer's block for ages (laughs) and so it comes out there's this one night where she's like I'm not angry I'm not angry I'm not angry but she goes out and she buys a whole bunch of like booze a whole bunch of like (laughs) decadent food she like gorges on cheese and wine and it goes from this thing of like I want nothing to I want everything I want everything all at once she wants to like have sex with this spunky academic she wants to eat all the cheese she wants to drink all the wine she wants to pass out in a pool like she's this really strange kind of narrator but I did respond to that like I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm gonna gorge myself (laughs) yeah I want all the things relatable yeah so I liked that but it kind of reminded me there's I think I don't know if it's a kind of a post me too and a post kind of flea bag the tv show Mm. or a post Sally Rooney as well this kind of flourishing of writing by young women about the politics of sex and desire Mm. and the experience of sex and desire and often not so hot, like mm. not so great stuff. But it did sort of remind me this year that I read oh, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing by Jessie Too, yeah. which kind of explores that kind of the sort of abject nature of your sexual relationships in your early 20s that, that, that can be there. But her affair with a much older man and how that is kind of linked to this sense of self-destruction and shame. Mm. Yeah. There's a similar one called Desire by Jessie Cole, which is actually a memoir, which is again about her... It was sort of written in real time where she was in the middle of this really unhealthy kind of relationship again with a man that was much older than her after kind of experiencing grief in her family. So this sort of... Partly I kind of read these novels and I'm so glad that I'm old (laughs) and I'm not in my (laughs) early 20s anymore and I'm not trying to figure it all out anymore. But I think it's really 
interesting that there's this space now for I think young women to be writing about those sorts of experiences mm. in a way like it really feels like there's a flourishing of that kind of writing and it would be exploring I guess the consent what consent means in a much more detailed way than we've spoken about consent in the past and yeah. all the nuances of consent and what can drive you to what drives people to make not great decisions either and how that can be preyed upon by people who are older and should know better. Yeah. I think. So yeah, yeah who should see that you're a you're a young person struggling. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so I feel like there's a lot of those kind of books around at the moment, which I think is a good thing. And I also think I'm just too old for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. I mean we both have daughters. It's good to have these conversations around consent and yeah. how it's not always clear cut and the the power imbalances in a relationship definitely can impact yeah consent I would really love if like when my daughters these ages that young women are instead just writing books about all the great sex they have and <laughs> all the wonderful relationships they have and all the people who treat them really well so I hope that like Maybe by having these next. conversations now <laughs> the next thing is and then we all had a good time yes <laughs> I think would be great let's hope yeah that's the fingers crossed <laughs> Another book that actually two books I put together because they have similarities to them are Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner and Meshi by Catherine Tamiko Argyle. So both of these memoirs are written by women who are half Asian. Both of them lost their mothers when they were in their early 20s. Both of them were only children as well. And so they really grappled with their mother's death. Um, Crying in H Mart is a more typical memoir. Or it's meshy is it's part memoir but also cookbook. It oh. interweaves Catherine's memories of growing up in Japan and how her family came together over food and traditions plays a part in it as well. But they're both really beautifully written books about grief without being sappy, mm. and I really loved both of those. That sounds really good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that link between like food and memory is such yeah. an interesting one. I feel like there was also, it's one of our trending titles at the moment is a cookbook called Yaya, I believe it's called. Yeah. It's about... Yaya um, Next Door or something yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah. So I think Yaya is a Greek word for grandmother. Right. So it's about two young men who lost their mum to domestic violence. And the woman who lived next door was this older Greek woman who made them dinner and she kind of passed it over the fence. Uh. So this, the book is a collection of the recipes she made, but also the three of them talking about their relationship and how healing it was when these young boys were grieving the death of their mum in a really traumatic way. Wow, so, yeah, that yeah. sounds like it really ties in well here. I didn't realise that's what that book was yeah. about. Now I want to read it. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful book and heavy going as well. Right. But yeah, but a beautiful, yeah, beautiful story about care. Yes, you know, I think there was also like a language barrier. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, a kind of expression of care through food and, yeah, mm. another good one. Yeah, sounds good. Oh, I do. I am quite self conscious about the fact that all my books are very of a theme at the moment. But <laughs> another book that really stood out for me this year was called Our Wives Beneath the Sea by Julia Armfield. It's a ostensibly kind of a book about two women who are married, one of them is a deep sea diver. She goes off to sea. The mission she's on goes wrong. She spends close to six months at the bottom of the sea. So this is sort of a, a kind of non-realistic mm. one. She comes back from this experience actually kind of changed and alien in a way. And um, she's physically starting to change as well. She's spending all of this time in the bath. 
her skin is changing, her body is changing, she's withdrawing in all sorts of ways. So it has this kind of on the surface, this almost like kind of mythical horror novel kind of trail. Sounds kind, kind of, of Kafkaesque. Feel. Yeah, <laughs> but underneath it I think it's essentially about just a relationship that's coming to an end and that, that, that feeling of like someone you love changing into a stranger mm. that can happen at the end of the relationship is just kind of dressed in these kind of strange almost sci-fi tropes about she's physically changing into something other and they never quite specify what she's becoming or who she's becoming. It's just that she's changing. Mm. They spend less time together, they sleep in different rooms, they Mm. don't talk, all their own routines are gone. And it's kind of married at the same time the narrator is reflecting back on her mother's death and her mother died of dementia, or with dementia, sorry, Um, and that experience of loss there, that Mm. like, again, another experience of seeing someone you love turn into somebody else Mm. and drift away from you in a way that you can't control. And it sort of reminded me a little bit of this movie I watched a few years ago that I really loved called The Duke of Burgundy, which was kind of a comedy about two women who are in a relationship again that had these sort of S&M tropes. Um, But underneath that kind of premise was just this thing of like in most relationships there's someone who loves and there's someone who's the loved one. Mm, And the person who loves is can find themselves often changing their behaviours, trying to live up to the expectations or hopes of this other person and not always being able to. So it was a kind of, I think I really like books that are talking about a very common human experience, Mm. the end of a relationship, that feeling of not being able to be the person, the person you love wants you to be, but they find a really interesting and novel new way to talk about these things. And that sense of... The person you love becoming so strange to you, they may as well be at the bottom of the sea or right. something like that. They're so lost to you. They're just kind of off in space somewhere that there's something, they've had some kind of an experience that there's no comparison to. Like they've become so alien to you. Mm. Um, that is a really universal good. experience, isn't yeah, it? To, to be so. so close to somebody and like we were talking about, have all that mystery removed yeah. and then suddenly... It reminds me of when you see that person and suddenly they're wearing a shirt that you've never seen before. Yeah, (laughs) And And you're like, what? I know all your shirts. What is that shirt? (laughs) Exactly. It has that kind of feeling. There's something so kind of melancholy about this book. And you sort of realise that figuring out what's happened at the bottom of the sea or how it's happened kind of isn't what what the book's about. It's about that kind of end of a relationship, but told getting to it in a really interesting Mm. way. So I really liked that and it really stayed with me, I think. Nice. Another one, this is the last of my favorite, this non-podcast books for the year. (laughs) And I've realized as I was writing all these out that all my favorite books from the year have been non-fiction, which is unusual for me, I think. That's great. This last one is The Coffin Confessor by William Edgar. Mm -hmm. It's another one we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, but this is about a man, a man who is hired by someone to deliver a secret at his funeral. So the man was dying. I think his best friend was having an affair with his wife. And so he hires William Edgar to confront this person in front of everybody at the funeral. And then he ends up, William Edgar, making a living out of doing this. And I remember, I think I read a newspaper article about it. And I remember thinking, I have conflicting feelings about 
this as a, as a career choice yeah and is it fair and all of that and what I found that was that I was really pleasantly surprised to read about this man who led a very colorful life full of tragedy and hardship but who has come out with this unique career choice and a gift for telling other people's secrets as well as his own and I ended up having a lot more compassion for him and what he chooses to do than I thought that I would going into it. So, yeah, highly recommend. It was really interesting. Cool, that yeah. sounds really good. Mm. Well, I've got a non-fiction book that I... I've got a couple of non-fiction books that I really enjoyed, but probably one that stands out is Jeff Sparrow, a book called Provocations. So Jeff's an Australian writer and journalist. He's written about a really eclectic range of topics. He's written on the Australian Communist Party. He's written about music. He's written about... The Rise of the Far Right, Gun Control, Reggae Music. He's wow. written a real So he writes regularly for, I think, The Guardian as well, The Monthly, does a bunch of stuff. So this is a collection of his writing over the last kind of 20 years. So there's a, a really eclectic mix of topics in there, as you would expect. But probably the one I found the most interesting was there's one on Captain Moonlight and the history of queer bushranging. So... There's been, so there's a, Captain Moonlight was a bushranger from Victoria and there's pretty good evidence that he was in relationship with other men. There's some evidence as well that there were other gay bushrangers as well, though we wouldn't necessarily, the category of gay hadn't been invented at the time. Oh, so wow. it's kind of like exploring, I guess, what those relationships, what they were like, how they formed, how they expressed themselves. And it's a really interesting one that kind of really challenges the idea that masculinity as we understand it or heterosexuality as we understand it are natural or inevitable and really talks as well about um, the emergence of those categories in Australia and the emergence of those ideas about sexuality in Australia as well. And it talks as well. So Captain Moonlight, I think, was actually from the city. So he wasn't someone who grew up in the bush and took to bush ranging, you know, because he'd come over from Ireland or Scotland or something like that. It was a city thing. So it even talks at the time about the creation of different ideas between what it means to be a city person, what it means to be a bush person, and even the kind of romanticisation of the bush occurring that early in Australian history as well. Mm. So it's a really interesting, it's a short piece, but a really interesting one. He also has pieces on going back and rereading your childhood favourite books and how, like, crushing they are <laughs> and disappointing it is. Should we clone the thylacine or other, oh, what's the word, dead animals, extinct animals? So there's a, a kind of, it sounds really unusual, a strain of thought from the rewilding movement that we should try and clone the DNA of these extinct animals and bring them back to life. So there's a there's a bit on that. There's lots of really good writing on climate change as well in there. So it's like a good reminder to like be a curious person, mm-hmm. which I think is really nice, like to just follow your curiosities wherever they lead you and to be like in his – the book is called Provocations. It's also about – being bold in your thinking mm. and being, you know, questioning in your thinking and stuff as well. So it's a really good one. Yeah, well worth, well worth the reader. I, I love that. I'm yeah, putting that good. on my list. That yeah, sounds really good. It's really good. He's yeah. a great writer as well. It's funny and accessible, but really smart. Like he's a he's a clever fella. So it's Very good. Good. 
Well, shall we move on to our favorite podcast book for the year? Sure. Okay. So my, I have a runner up and then my favorite. Cool. My runner up is The Space Between the Stars by Indira Naidu. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was cool. about Indira's losing her sister to suicide and how she grappled with that and how the role that nature played in helping her heal. That was mm-hmm. a really beautiful book that I think yeah, is well really worth good. it. Yeah. 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 My favourite podcast book was Celeste Ng, Our Missing Hearts. It's one of the ones I've read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You haven't read that I haven't read all many. of the, the podcast books, so yeah. I've pretty much read two. Right. So it was a toss-up between this and Steve Toltz. And right. anyone who's listened to the Steve Toltz one knows I had pretty strong negative feelings about that one. <laughs> That's so funny because I was thinking, oh, wow, I'm surprised because you didn't yeah. love Our Missing Hearts nah, either. But she's, <laughs> I guess those are the two that yeah. you have to choose from. If yep. it's the toss-up between the two, I'd definitely go for Celeste over Steve. Right. Well, my favourite was, again, Rachel by Marion Keys. And... This, I mean, it wasn't the perfect book. It's not like literary or it's more genre, but it just brought back all of my nostalgia for one of my favorite literary characters of all time because Rachel's Holiday is, you know, I read it when I was in my 20s and I just absolutely loved it. So I was so happy to revisit Rachel and have time with her again. Yeah. Nice loved it and I just wanted to give an honorable mention to our book slump episode I I enjoyed that yeah I I really enjoyed that and I felt like we talked about things that everybody struggles with and I don't know I feel really proud of that episode yeah yeah we did a good one it was sort of a thrown together at last minute and I'd never done a podcast before but I think we did a good job yeah Yeah, I liked that episode too yep cool and I also thought I'd ask Jasmine and Jane for their favorite podcast books that they read this year Jasmine's favorite was Reminders of Him by Colleen Hoover so yeah that was one of the books that's really hot on TikTok and yeah Jasmine really liked that one and Jane's favorite I don't know why it surprised me but her favorite was The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath oh nice yeah she went classic on us yeah 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 that's a great one I haven't read that since I was in my early 20s and maybe I should that's a good yeah well that was the same as Jane she read it I think she said as an angsty teenager. Yeah, me and, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, there you go. You're still Belgian girl at heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now I thought we could talk about, it's tradition that I ask our IT people to put together a list of the most borrowed books. So what you guys in the community were wanting to read and loving to read this year. So they've given me the top 10 adult nonfiction and adult fiction books of the year. So I'll read them out. Andrea hasn't seen this list. Oh, no. So we'll see what things surprise you and what things don't. So well, I'll do adult nonfiction first. Coming in at number 10 was So You Think You Know What's Good For You, which was the Norman Swan book. Norman Swan, I feel like, rose to prominence during COVID because he was the doctor that would always Ah, come on and talk about COVID stuff. So uh, much attention I was paying. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that. Number nine is Where the River Bends, Recipes and Stories from the Table of Jane and Jimmy Barnes. Nice. Did did you have a look at that one? No, 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 me neither, but... it. It was a beautiful cover. I remember that. I like Jimmy Barnes. <laughs> yeah. He seems like a nice enough fella. Yeah. I just, yeah, cookbooks are really aspirational things for me. I look at them and then I never make anything Same. from them. So 
I tend not to look at them much at the moment. Same, same, absolutely. Though this is another kind of a cookbook one, and there are a few of them on here. This is the 1010 Diet, The Healthy Way oh, to yeah. Lose 10 Kilos in 10 Weeks by Sarah DiLorenzo. That wasn't that surprising. That was a popular mm. one. Number seven was The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music by Dave Grohl. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Did you read that one? I didn't. I no. didn't. I, I, I saw him kind of online reading some excerpts from it. Mm. it yeah, it was just kind of golden. He's like, I really liked Iggy Pop. And then I became friends with Iggy Pop. It was great. I really liked the Beatles. And then I became friends with Paul McCartney. Oh, right. I really liked Led Zeppelin. And then I was in a band with, what's his name, the bass player? Jones. Yeah. So mm. it was just like, good job, Dave Grohl. <laughs> Dave Grohl, of course, famous for being in Foo Fighters. Number six, again, another cookbook called Together, Jamie Oliver. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Jamie Oliver is always in here, I feel like. Yeah. They're really accessible cookbooks. Even like... Yep. Someone who just cooks the hell out of everything. <laughs> it's kind of idiot proof. Right. Yeah. But they, I mean, me. I'm, I'm the idiot. In that, like, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> Number five is Windswept and Interesting, which is a Billy Connolly's it's autobiography. such a good title. I brought it for my dad for Christmas last <laughs> oh. year and he loved it. Like, I feel like I learned to swear from Billy Connolly. <laughs> dad used to play his records all the time Same. around the house when we were kids. Same. Like, and the only words I ever understood because he had such a thick Scottish accent at the time with a swear word so <laughs> I just feel like me and my brother used to try swearing in Scottish accents our parents are Irish by the way oh, so I was gonna like say <laughs> is your dad Scottish too okay. no he's Irish so okay. we would just all of our swear words we try and pronounce with like Scottish or Irish accents <laughs> so we'd have entire conversations in the back of the car just swearing in weird accents <laughs> that's so funny <laughs> our parents were weirdly tolerant of <laughs> Probably because they love Billy Connolly. Yeah, got <laughs> such a soft spot for Billy Connolly because of that. He seems like a lovely person, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's funny. We have that in common. Such a great title as well. <laughs> Number four is the boy from Boomerang Crescent. So another autobiography that is Eddie Betts's. Oh yeah, nice. Mm. That's great. Yeah, and then number three is another diet e cookbook, The Fast Eight Hundred Keto: Eat Well, Burn Fat, Manage Your Weight Long Term. I had a friend who did keto. This year. Oh, yeah. She really liked it. Oh, she, yeah. She found that she had, like, more energy and mm. felt good. She told me all about that while I was eating cake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone out for lunch in Melbourne. And I was like, no, I wasn't. I was eating pasta and then I ate cake. Right. <laughs> so I was just like, that sounds amazing. Tell me more about denying yourself. <laughs> yeah, as I shovel pasta into well, my I mouth. Eat Alfredo. <laughs> funny number two this surprised me for some reason was love stories by trent dalton oh i reckon this sounds really nice yeah it does yeah. sound really nice he was at writer's week mm-hmm. this year and he was one of the ones that we were able to stream into the library so i got to hear him talk cool. about that book yeah and yeah it sounds lovely i think it sounds like a really nice i think people really like i remember when there was that it was like a website and then that humans of new york like when people yes just like hearing everyday stories i think people are curious about like how did you fall in love? Everyone's, everyone wants to know. Yeah. What'd you do? Just these yeah. average people on the street. Yeah. yeah. How you meet and what your day is, you know, what your relationship's like and what your life's like. I yeah. think people are really curious about each other. And it, there you go. It's everybody has a story, right? Yeah. 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 Mm. And it's interesting, like I remember reading something recently where they were talking about, it was a person who actually didn't like telling other people about how they met their partner because they feel like it becomes a performance. Uh, it becomes like this story that you refine so it gets more romantic or funnier or something like that's that. So and true. she felt like she didn't want to talk about that because she'd ruined what it actually was. Right. Um, then her husband was just like, I'll oh, get over it. <laughs> it was really funny. She kept this like really lovely, like it was just so special to me. I want to keep it authentic. And her husband's like, we met at the pub. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were drunk. <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. I can see why people like it. And number one, drum roll, we don't have a drum roll, was Atomic Habits by ah, James Clear. Cool. Yeah. I did read that one and it was good and it did seem like, yeah, yeah, it's so easy. Just make really small changes yeah. consistently. And of course, I haven't kept up with it, but I do believe in the concept. <laughs> I think I just feel like there's something in my brain that's really resistant to change, <laughs> even small changes. Yeah. It's like, I don't know about this. <laughs> or like, I remember there was a Barbara Ehrenreich. She wrote this really grumpy book about, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the title now, but I'll get it for Jasmine. It was essentially like anti the wellness industry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm. It was like a critique. So there were very serious things in there. But like part of me just sort of read it with a, yeah, I don't need to change. <laughs> it's like not the point of what she was writing. You know, she's a, a scientist herself. And she it was a really interesting kind of critique about um, the pursuit of like relentless positivity and a critique mm. of the idea of resilience, like resilience being something that a person needs to cultivate to face unfair situations in a workplace or in a relationship we tell people to be resilient rather than saying workplaces need to change or politics Mm. needs to change or society and culture needs to change so it was a really smart engaging book which smart engaging people would probably get a lot out of but muggins here mainly got (laughs) (laughs) i don't need to work on myself i'm fine (laughs) i mean yeah yeah. the wellness industry we we, we get a lot from them we can get a bit of fatigue around that i think yeah she also i suppose she's most famous for writing nickel and dimed which is where she spent a year working in the low-wage economy in america so working as waitresses living in hotels and and writing about that so she wrote really really wonderfully about class and politics and inequality in america in america Mm. she's a really really sharp person so her insights into the wellness industry were partly based on she started her career as a scientist and she was one of the leaders of the female health movement which was talking about how women's bodies work their experiences with doctors Mm. what medical training is like what scientific is training like how women's bodies and their experiences are excluded and Mm. so a really interesting smart kind of woman so I feel like I've done her (laughs) a a great (laughs) by making her sound like a crank but no so a really smart woman Lots of smart people would get good things out of her books, but I mainly got that, like, personal development is not for me. <laughs> and Barbara Ehrenreich says that's fine. It's capitalism's problem. <laughs> <sighs> okay, shall we move to fiction? Here's sure. top ten fiction. Number ten, Take Your Breath Away by Linwood Barclay. Oh, cool. I've seen that around, yeah. Yeah, I've never read Linwood Barclay. I haven't. No. I used to say it about James Patterson. And look at you now. <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> I've still got the like the like essentially mood board is right behind you. Of, like, yes. keep, trying to keep track of all the characters. There's little love hearts on the board. Yeah. There's quotation marks. There's just Carla Boom written yeah. in a cloud. Yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't listened to the podcast yet. I presume it's going to make sense. Either that, or you and Jasmine just need a break from one another. It was. <laughs> like, we, in psychosis. We we tried. We tried to make sense of it. I don't know that we did, but. <laughs> Number nine, Game On, Janet Ivanovich. Here's another per- really oh, super popular person I've I have, never read. I read a Janet Ivanovich book like maybe 15 years ago and it was super fun. It's like yeah. a big sexy crime novel, right. witty banter, lots of fun. Yeah. yeah. This is the 28th book. It, the, it was sort of the secondary title was Tempting 28. So it used to be those numbers were like really prominent. Now I guess because it's like we're up into 28. Yeah, like it's hard to <laughs> Just calling it Game On. I was about to say it's hard to get excited but it's in our top 10 but it's like it's hard to make 
29 sounds sexy. Yeah. Like. It's the 29th book. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. The one of hers I read, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Number eight is one I've actually read, The Mother by Jane Carroll. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, despite this being fiction, it does have a real nonfiction quality to it. And it, yeah, it was an enjoyable read. Mm. Mm. Number seven is one of the, our podcast books, Devotion by Hannah Kent. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. I didn't read it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we read it for the podcast. And Hannah Kent was here this year. Was it this year? I think it was this year to talk about her book. So that's if you're interested that you can hear Hannah Kent speak because we recorded it and we have it on the podcast. Oh, lovely. That's great. Number six, The Match, Harlan Coben. Ah, I have read Harlan Coben in the past. He's like the king of the twists. Right. Yeah, he's really good. They've made so many of his books have become... Really good TV shows, especially yes. in Poland. Oh. We've got Netflix. There's a bunch of Polish adaptations of his books that are great. Oh, so, did not know. Yeah, he's the king of the twist. He's really good. Or like the a stranger walks into town, mutters something mysterious, <laughs> leaves, and everyone tries to figure out what it means. They're really <laughs> fun. There's been yeah great adaptations of them as well. So nice. Let's see where people like them. Number five is The Spy's Wife by Fiona McIntosh. Oh, great. Yep, cool. and we're going to have Fiona McIntosh with us in the new year. We will. She'll be in in February. She has a new novel coming out in January called Dead Tide, and she'll be in to talk to us about it in Feb. So keep your eyes out for that. Yeah, and we'll hopefully make it available on the podcast as well. That's the plan. Yep. Number four, hanging in there still, Where the Crawdads Sing by I've Delia Owens. I never read this. I <laughs> was going to read it and then I thought, oh, it's been so long. It's too late to read it. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. But yeah, yeah, I've heard good things. Yes. And I guess part of what's keeping it hanging in there is the movie came movie, out this yeah. year. Yeah. Another book written by a scientist. Yes, true. I told my husband, Josh, who was also a scientist about it because he's been like, oh, I should read more fiction. I'm like, this was written by a scientist. And he's like, no. <laughs> I, I did really love this book. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's had a lot great. of hype now and that kind of it's like kind of make you makes you feel a bit jaded sometimes about it. But nah, this, I still yeah, really like that fantastic. book. Yeah. yeah. Number three is The Dark Hours by Michael Connolly. Oh, yeah. I've read some Michael Connolly in the past again. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just from memory, the ones I read, I think were set in Los Angeles. Mm. Just like good kind of hard boiled crime. Mm. Thumbs you up. like your procedural crime. As I do. I haven't, um, haven't read much of it this year, to be honest. Mm. I read one really good, it was another Los Angeles crime book. It was called These Women by Ivy Picarda, Picarda. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, which was set in like South Los Angeles. follows five women and the impact of a kind of murder on them. So it was almost like an anti-crime novel. I feel like there's been a few of those types of novels written by women this year. Mm. I think that was Before You Knew My Name was another one. Oh, yeah. There's one other one I was thinking of that try and kind of, like really critically interrogate the kind of women as victim tropes that come mm. up in crime novels so so often. And this yes. is also what crime can do really, really well is create a portrait of a place. So this creates mm. a portrait of South Los Angeles, which is the neighbourhood that the author grew up in and the experiences of women in there, the mm. experience of marginalised people in the, in the town and the experience of policing as well. So... That sounds like a good, good antidote to what we didn't like about the James Patterson book where the these African American girls and women were being targeted mm. but they didn't ask they didn't look into that at all. It was just a really minor sort of plot point. Mm. And Yeah, then you should read this actually because mm. it's all about that kind it's a, a written in response to that kind of crime right. writing. It's a very thought through politicized response to that type of crime writing and that depiction of women. So, yeah, it's a really good one for people who love crime 
Mm. But sometimes the experience of reading it just can feel a bit too dissonant between, I love procedurals, I'm really annoyed about this. Right. Yeah, I think there's been some women writing some really interesting crime novels over the last couple of years and these girls, or these women, sorry, was definitely one of those. It's about sort of a woman whose daughter is murdered, so a chapter is told from about her experience of engaging with police. Mm. There's also then about a young sex worker who lives in this neighbourhood, her experience of being in the neighbourhood, a young female police officer. There's also told then from the wife. I don't want to say too much more. Mm. But, yeah, an antidote to that kind of crime. Yeah. And very, very well written. Yeah, if you like James Patterson, maybe that's something else you could read because, yeah, what we talked about on the podcast was, okay, it's fine to have your James Patterson sometimes, but maybe sometimes read more broadly, hear other voices. So Yeah, yeah. and that's a great one. You can still – it's got some of the pleasures of crime, like right. the, the figuring it out, the mystery. Mm. It's, it gives you that, but it also gives you, like we're saying with Jeff, a provocation as well mm. to you about your reading habits and the way we look at the world and talk about women and violence. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Sounds good. Number two is another another podcast book. Happy about this. Apples Never Fall, Leanne Moriarty. Oh, cool. I've never read a Leanne Moriarty book. <gasps> oh, never, ever, ever. I know. She's know. one of my favourites. Yeah. 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 I should. I should maybe get off my bum and do that. <laughs> We've got lots. <laughs> so many books, so little time. Oh. Number one is another author I've never read that's super, super popular. So probably not a surprise that he's number one. And in fact... Yeah, I, I should look back and see. Maybe he's been number one every year. I feel like I should do a drum roll, but I yeah. actually can't. Like, <laughs> I think one of these time. buttons. We don't have a drum roll, but we do have this sound. And it is <laughs> "Better Off Dead" by Andrew Grant and Lee Child. It's a Jack Reacher novel. Oh yes, I have read a Jack Reacher novel yeah. as well. I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was. I just didn't get it. Is, <laughs> I don't know what else is Tom Cruise the one who plays Jack Reacher in the yeah, movies? Yeah, I think yeah. it was a very controversial casting choice because yes. as far as I can tell from the book, Jack Reacher is enormous and doesn't say much. He's just really big. That that does sound opposite to Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I, I, didn't get, I didn't understand. Right. I didn't understand what's going on. It was halfway through a series. and Right. Maybe you need to read the whole thing. Yeah. I think Good. So. Any surprises there for you? No, but it's mm. just a, a kind of, yeah, just a nice reminder of how widely and interestingly our patrons read yeah, and how engaged they are. And I'm really glad that the library is actually able to give people, I mean, so many of these new releases have been, you know, really popular in the culture. So I'm glad that the library is actually able to help people engage with what's going on in literary culture and make sure they're getting the books that they want to read so they can, you know, feel part of the conversations that happen about books throughout the year. So I think that's really cool. Absolutely. It's backbone of why we're here. <laughs> yes. Also, uh, they pay us, which is nice <laughs> I meant why libraries are here, but yeah, that too. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to talk about that's coming, that you're looking forward to that's coming out next year that's on your radar? I don't have a new release that's on my radar for next year, but I do have some books that I'm looking forward to reading. These are older books. They're by Jeff Dyer, who's both a novelist and I think he writes quite eclectically in nonfiction. But I used to read a lot of nonfiction and I've really dropped off in the last couple of years. So he's written some, these uh, two books. So one's called Seesaw, Looking at Photographs, and the other one I haven't written down the name of. So we'll just stick with Seesaw. Okay. And there he's writing on photography. Ah. So on, I think, just breaking down how we look, what we see, how we frame things. So it reminds me a little bit, from what I can gather, of the John Berger, is it called On Looking? 
the book he wrote about art and how we look at art and what we see and what we take in. So yes, I'm really interested in reading a little bit more of his work as well. Are you into photography? I do like photography, but I sort of feel like art is one of those things, I sometimes feel like there's a language around it I don't really understand, but Mm. I actually really like, I love going to the art gallery, Mm. I love reading about art, I love thinking about art, but I don't always feel like I know... I understand the way people talk about it or Mm. write about it. So, yeah, I thought I would start with some of his and see. So they're on my hold list. I'm looking forward to them as well. Yeah, that's some of the nonfiction I'm looking forward to. Cool. I just thought I'd mention that The Bookbinder of Jericho is the companion novel to Dictionary of Lost Words, which was by Pip Williams, which was super, super popular. And that book is coming out on the 28th of March. And we will hopefully have Pip here later in the year as well. So really excited for that. That Sounds great. I would say I am, there is a book I'm excited about reading. So we're currently running a summer reading challenge. So the idea is we're challenging patrons who want to do some reading over this summer, but are maybe not quite sure where to start to commit to reading one book a month over the course of summer. And we've created some bookmarks and book displays to give you some inspiration about where to get started and some summary themes that might help. And we'd really love if when you finish reading a book, if you come in to the library, tell us a little bit about it and go into an entry to win a monthly prize. So one of my books that I stumbled across when I was putting together some of the reading lists is a book called Small Pleasures by Claire Chambers. Oh yes, I've seen that book. And it's just come in on my holes and I'm really, really excited about it. It's sort of about a journalist who um, is asked to investigate a claim from a woman that her daughter was the product of a virgin birth and she becomes, I think, really enmeshed in the family's life. So I'm really excited about this. One thing I do remember when I was a child, we went back to visit family in Ireland and there was apparently a statue of the Virgin Mary that was moving at the time that we all had to go down and see. It didn't move while we were there. I was going to say, what? (laughs) My my grandma made us all go and take a look. So So people said that they saw the statue moving. Yeah, so it's a grotto in – so in Country Island there are lots of these little grottos with the statues of the Virgin Mary sprinkled around the place and Mm. apparently this one was moving or crying, moving or crying, one of those. I think maybe weeping. I think it might have been weeping. So this is when I was about seven or eight and we'd gone back for a holiday to visit them so we all had to kind of go down to where this grotto was to see what she was up to really right it's amazing it's like those stories of people who say they see the virgin mary in their piece of toast and then yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think there was a spate in like the 80s in ireland of crying or moving virgin mary statues Mm, so mm. i think it just going as like i should say that my parents and aunts and stuff didn't really believe in this but my grandmother kept her options open so (laughs) she was like well we're gonna go and check just in case um, so yeah so we went to see it and her side of the family would do things like visit lords to see the the mary there apparently there was meant to have been an appearance of the virgin mary sometime so they would sort of go so she was quite interested in in this so the idea of like the odd virgin birth probably wouldn't have shocked her so (laughs) i think that just gave me an interest in that kind of thinking or experiences from a young age what makes people believe what makes people what draws people to those sorts of experiences Mm. so i think this sounds really good and i'm really looking forward to reading it it's got excellent reviews which list is it on it is on travel ah books about travel Mm. so this is yeah it starts off in london and then she heads off to visit this and discover see a bit more about their life yeah i'm really looking forward to it it's not reading outside my comfort zone because it's an odd book written by a woman about odd things (laughs) So it's very much in my comfort zone, it appears. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. Looking forward to hearing what you think of it.
Now, I thought we would announce our book, our first book for 2023, January. We will be reading Grace Tame, The Ninth Life of a Diamond Miner, a memoir. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I have a little blurb here, so I'll read that, shall I? Yes, please. Grace Tame has never walked on middle ground. From a young age, her life was defined by uncertainty, by trauma and strength, sadness and hope, terrible lows and wondrous highs. As a teenager, she found the courage to speak up after experiencing awful and ongoing child sexual abuse. This fight to find her voice would not be her last. In 2021, Grace stepped squarely into the public eye as the Australian of the Year and was the catalyst for a tidal wave of conversation and action. Australians from all walks of life were inspired and moved by her fire and passion. She was using her voice and encouraging others to use theirs too. The ninth life of a diamond miner is Grace's story, in Grace's words, on Grace's terms. Here she returns again and again to the things that have driven and saved her, love, connection, and radical, unwavering honesty. Like Grace, this book is sharply intelligent, deeply felt, wildly unexpected, and often blisteringly funny. And as with all her work, it offers a constructive and optimistic vision for a better future for all of us. Yeah, she's an incredible young woman, so I think and this would be a really great one. Quite divisive, I feel like, in the community. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what we will be reading for January. I hope you join us. Do, as Andrea says, join the Summer Reading Challenge. Get your forms in because, yes, you could win one of our monthly prizes that we have available. And enjoy your summer reading. Yes, have a great time. Tell us what you're reading. Please do enter the competition and let us know. It's really good to hear what our patrons are reading, what you're enjoying, what you're really not enjoying. Let us <laughs> yeah, know we if you're reading that with too. Us. Awful. Just come and tell us. Come in, give it one Um, star and make you feel better. (laughs) Yeah. You can tell us about it too if you like. Sometimes you just got to get it out of your system. So yeah, we'd love to hear what you're reading. So please do come in and let us know. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Paula. Cheers. Cheers. Have a good Christmas. Bye. Bye. The City of Marion acknowledges that the Literary Anything podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people and recognizes the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the land.